You're listening to the Raptors Rapture Podcast. What's up, everybody? Thank you so much for listening, and welcome to the Raptors Rapture Podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Surplus, and as always, chatting about the Toronto Raptors. On this week's episode, we've got a special guest who's a contributor for RaptorsRapture.com, and that special guest is Lee Tanner. Lee, my man, how are you doing? I'm very good. How are you doing, Hunter? I'm good, and this is a bit of a, a special episode for me, uh, Lee, because, you know, this is a a little bit of a high school reunion for us, <laughs> this uh, Malvern, Malvern alumni here. Uh, so that's it makes it a little bit more fun for us. Um, as always, absolutely. Uh, as always, we are, like I said, talking Raptors. We start off with the news that came out this week. And we're going to start off on a very positive note because as a lot of you guys listening know, the Raptors are... 0-2 in the last two games. They're on a two-game skid here. One loss to the Milwaukee Bucks, which we're going to talk about a little bit later, and then a loss to the Charlotte Hornets, which I don't really want to talk about because it was <laughs> upsetting and it's enough in itself. So the good news that I do want to start with, Lee, here is that Terrence Davis came out in an interview and said that the reason that he was so drawn to the Toronto Raptors was their winning culture and the attitude that came with that winning culture um, and being a rookie and going into that system is something that he wanted to be a part of and he thought that's that's how he was going to be able to grow. To you, Lee, is this an indication as to how other players around the league viewing the Raptors and like, do you see this as a positive for the team moving? moving forward come like 2021 free agency per se yeah absolutely i think that you know any type of dialogue that revolves around you know a player that's already playing for the team or has already played for the team just noting that you know they're excited to be there that they're enjoying their spot that they have right now is a positive in any way it can be small or big obviously terrence davis is a rookie he is making a splash and he is making a little bit of noise in the nba but he's not like a superstar that's coming out and being like, you know, the Toronto Raptors is where to be. Uh, but, you know, it's still, you know, it's a great little push in the right direction for us. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think it would be a totally different story if if Terrence Davis was like garbage this year. <laughs> like if Terrence Davis sucked this year and he was like, yeah, I wanted to win. It's like, yeah, no shit you wanted to win. You're trash. You're just basically joining a 50-win team and, and having to do nothing. But like, to me, this is this is more so a, a good sign for like getting younger players to come to a team or like an older player who's looking to maybe join a winning team after kind of sucking for a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. And like, I don't know if it's necessarily going to be a thing with, with players in their prime per se, only because you saw with, I, I hate to, you know, kind of break Raptors fans heart here, but like having to, like we look at Kawhi Leonard and what he did, they're in a winning situation regardless, right? Being in Toronto and he just kind of decided to do what he wanted to do and and go play in LA even though they did have somewhat of a winning culture, but it wasn't the same type of thing. And you can see like a, a player like for for example Giannis, he goes into Milwaukee who didn't have that winning culture and he created it. And I don't know if like a a, a player in their prime is going to look at Toronto and be like yeah, I want to be there because they're a winning culture. It it obviously helps, but if you're a star player in your prime, I don't know necessarily if it 
if it is going to draw people to you. But like I said, like those those talented younger players who haven't had much success or the talented older players who are looking to to find a way back into the league and like maybe up their value if they're in a contract year, that that might be where I see the this helping the most. But I, I, I very well could be wrong, I guess. Yeah, I think it also has to do with, you know, um, any sort of rookie that's heading into the league and maybe gets drafted by us. I think it might even help just like spark that little bit of energy being like, okay, well, I've seen so many success stories come out of Toronto. This could be me. And like, I have to work a little bit harder if I want to make it happen kind of thing. Yeah, I I totally agree. And and even then, like maybe people will take pay cuts to come play with the Raptors. And that's crazy to think about like not yeah when was the last time you could think of the toronto raptors being a team where like someone would come take a pay cut and play for them just because they've got that winning culture and they've got that that strong core with like lowry and siakam and og and you can go down the list it's it's pretty cool to see and like it's it's so different from where the raptors were like even four years ago when they were so good with DeRozan and and lowry in that era it's just like a totally different scene which is cool to see no, it's an exciting part of uh, basketball right now, that is. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so going on to a little bit less exciting news and less positive, uh, Serge Ibaka and Fred Van Fleet both missed Friday night's game against the Charlotte Hornets, which obviously I mentioned ended up in a loss. Um, Powell did come back, but we're going to talk about that one a little bit later in the episode, so stay tuned for that. Um, so now that means like three of the top seven guys are out in the lineup, obviously with Gasol with the hamstring and then Fred Van Fleet's shoulder and Ibaka's knee, I think it is. How much does this hurt the Raptors' chances uh, to keep that second seed, especially with how well like the Celtics and Jason Tatum are playing? Well, I want to say it's going to hurt, but at the same time, like this whole season, I feel like every single prediction that someone's made about how the Raptors are going to do has just gone down the drain just because you've had the people like Terrence Davis and uh, Chris Boucher come out and be those game changers and honestly have filled the role that was needed and that was left by these uh, starting players so I want to say it's going to hurt but obviously like I am excited for players potentially such as O'Shea Brissett to come out and try and you know prove his worth a little bit more um and then obviously like chris boucher you know he's had a few ups and downs uh throughout the season it's like regards to how many minutes he's getting but it is a chance for him to kind of jump back in that role um but right now i think you know missing with uh fred van vliet i think you know norm can try and bring that like long-range shot power but then you know having that big body of serge Ibaka and that like bully ball almost and that you know, pick and roll and pink and pop, that's going to be a tough loss. Yeah. And that's like, those are some good points. And I I think like, I don't know if it is going to hurt them completely just because they do have, and like, this is going off the idea that these aren't serious injuries because they haven't been, you know, we haven't been led to believe that Serge Ibaka is going to be out for weeks or that Fred Van Fleet's going to be out for a long time with the injury. Like three of their next four games are against some relatively light teams, right? Like they got this, Suns, Warriors, and Kings coming up after this game against the Nuggets, which is going to be a tougher game, especially without a big guy like Gasol or Ibaka in there. But like those those next three of four against those three teams, I know they're on the road, but they're not exactly the most exciting teams. They're not the most uh, physically dominant teams where like you would need a guy like Ibaka or a guy like Gasol to really be out there and, and 
bang bodies with other players. Uh, you don't need a Fred Van Fleet really to be out there like grinding the whole game because, like you said, they've got the Norma Powell, they've got all these other guys. Um, but who do, who would you like to see uh, step up the most? And obviously, you know, the easy answer is everybody. You want everyone <laughs> to step up. Um, but like in the absence of an Ibaka or like you can go with Fred Van Fleet, like who do you want to see step up the most? And what what player would give you the most confidence in stepping up the way that maybe you've seen so far this season? I think there's a, you know, there's a few that pop into my mind. Um, personally, like I've always been a fan of OG Ananobi. Uh, he's, you know, been playing center, like a few center minutes here and there where it's like five minutes in a lineup uh, that doesn't really make sense, but for some reason kind of works. And I think that could be a really interesting matchup if they choose to go with, uh, you know, potentially against Aiton on the Suns. Um, if you have like OG Ananobi trying to guard him just because of his strength, his length, everything like that, it could be a very interesting matchup. So I think, you know, on the defensive end, OG is going to be okay. But on the offensive end, his shots have really fluctuated between, you know, he's getting two or three shots to potentially like uh, up to 10 shots. And it kind of like that fluctuation and that like inconsistency is also shown within like how many points he's getting and how good of a field goal percentage he's shooting. So I think that would be a huge one for me. And then I think the next person, honestly, like Matt Thomas, he, uh, he's just, he's, he's shooting him. And like, I'm not going to say anything else. He's just shooting him nonstop aside from last night where he wasn't able to get a three down. Uh, but he is shooting incredibly from long range. And I think that could be, a very interesting aspect to the Toronto Raptors game if they choose to, you know, make him fill a little bit of that that shooting role that a friend Fred Van Vliet had. Yeah, I, I, both those are awesome. Like, like I said, you want to see everyone step up a little bit, and like mm-hmm. I like the Matt Thomas pick because he is really only playing those like maybe ten minutes a night on depending on matchups and depending on how well certain players are playing and how open. And the guard minutes are, um, but I do think that this does give him uh, a good chance to get out there for you know maybe a 15 minute stretch, uh, maybe be out in in some garbage time minutes and and get him hot and maybe Nick Nurse will finally trust him to mm-hmm. leave him out there rather than a Patrick McCaw or something like that. Uh, but I, I like what you said with um, OG Ananobi where like he'll be fine on the defensive end, but the offense is where it's going to hurt, and that's where I think the biggest struggle is going to come from both Ibaka and Van Fleet because Ibaka over the past 10-15 games and really like into the 15-game winning streak was almost like the best offensive player on the Raptors. And we've seen in the two games, well, I guess last night was the only game without him, but even up against the Bucks, when you're facing a much bigger team, uh, he was he struggled. He struggled against the Bucks. He struggled against, I mean, the offense struggled against the Bucks and the offense struggled against uh the the Hornets without a guy like a bucket in there to just get a bucket and bang a body and stretch the floor and do all these different things that that he does and the same thing goes for Fred Van Fleet like being the ball handler the pick and roll the pick and pop the the all the little things that they do on the offensive end I think is really gonna hurt so the guy that I would like to see step up and you know he's been doing amazing all year long and I it's hard to ask for any more from him but for me it's Pascal Siakam um mm-hmm. as of late his his offensive efficiency has really really dropped since the beginning of the season like last night I think he he was what uh nine of 23 for 24 points and you know that's not 
that's not a horrible night per se, but 24 points on 23 shots in, in this day and age is almost like sacrilegious <laughs> to, to think about it. Right. Like, yeah. um, so him, obviously, like you said, like OG Ananobi is going to be fine defensively. Pascal Siakam is always going to be fine defensively. This team is going to be fine defensively. There's a reason they're, they've got like the second best defensive rate in the whole league. It's just on offense. And the one guy that you have to look to for your offense is, is your best offensive player. And that guy's Pascal Siakam. And when he's missing the bunnies and when he's not being as aggressive and not getting to the hoop and, and not getting the foul calls that, that he needs to get when he's not shooting the ball well, uh, that's the one guy that I think really needs to step up. And even if it's just getting getting four more free throws a game or taking one more three-pointer to maybe just up that that number total just a little bit more and open the offense up and, and get the double teams and be able to pass out of it, those type of things, those little things are, are what I want to look for from Pascal and see if he can really bring that to the table. And then that opens it up for Norm Powell, who's going to have to get back into things. And for uh, Rondé Hollis Jefferson, who is going to be going up against much, much bigger guys because <laughs> he's going to be playing center. And a Boucher, who is basically a three in terms of his uh, like stature. He's as skinny as a three. He weighs the amount of a, a, as a small forward does in the NBA nowadays. And uh, it's it'll be tough. Like They're looking like the Houston Rockets out there, which is yeah. <laughs> horrible. Oh, um, man. <laughs> Uh, so, like I mentioned, Ronnie Hollis Jefferson and and Boucher uh, kind of having to go up against the the bigger guys. Do you feel like positive enough or good enough with those two guys going up against centers, or do you think that maybe if this Ibaka injury seems to, seems to go on any longer, and and obviously this Casal injury, we have no idea the timetable for that either. Um, do you think they should maybe look at trying to find a bio guy if anyone does? fall on the market I think that could be interesting also but it really just depends on like who that guy is like you don't just want to scoop up a guy just because he's got the size and you need some size on your roster right now but honestly like the way that they've been playing um ever since they had those rebounding struggles early in the season everyone was like we need to get a rebounder since then, and since they've been able to switch it around, obviously they're not like a top rebounding team, but they've got a lot better. And I think that just stems from, you know, they're playing as a team. All five people are looking to rebound. Yeah, you have a couple people that are breaking away. But even if you watch, like, this is going back to Matt Thomas, you look at him on the defensive end, and he's getting a position. And when the ball is going up, he is looking for a box out, even on a close guard or potentially on like the small forward who's lurking around the basket. So it's having the guards shift in and looking to box out and looking to play team rebounding that could be the answer. But I don't like Chris Boucher, he's been, you know, he's had his minutes out there. He's been bodied around, but he has been able to keep his arms up to basically just contest as many shots as possible. And he's got a lot better at not fouling and just making sure those arms are straight up and looking for a block here and there. Um, honestly, after watching him block Giannis, you want to believe that he can do anything in the world. <laughs> but um, potentially down the line, like if it looks like a block is going to be out for a longer period of time, which obviously we have no idea. It just looks like knee soreness right now. But if it looks like he's going to be out for a longer period of time, it could be interesting to look into some other options. But again, honestly, I'd like to see what we have 
so far, uh, such as like O'Shea Brissett with that bigger body, it might be nicer to give those people, while we do have a stretch of three games against some below 500 teams, it could be good to throw that type of player in there just to see what he can offer on the rebounding end. Yeah, and I think the rebounding is the biggest part. Like, I think they can hold it, hold their own defensively when it comes to Boucher and and uh, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson. Like, obviously, they're not the biggest guys. They're not going to be able to go up against the Jokic's of the world. But then again, not a lot of people can. Um, <laughs> the only thing that the only thing that I don't like about this situation, like you said, is like the rebounding. And when Siakam's out there, he is pretty much the the best rebounder. On on the floor no matter what in in pretty much any scenario just because they don't have the Ibaka they don't have the Gasol so when he's out there he kind of has to stick back and like you mentioned with them kind of going out and running he is usually the one to lead those breaks and and get those big opportunities to get out there and run and that's how he kind of gets into the flow of the game sometimes early on and now when he has to stay back and he has to wait for the rebounds or he has to come double the guy who's being covered by Hollis Jefferson because he's got an extra 40, 50 pounds on him. It doesn't allow them to get on the break as much as I would like to see. And I'm sure as much as they would like to, to get going because their, their offense sometimes does become stagnant without an extra guard out there. Or if they're not hitting their shots, it gets stagnant. And as long as you see the the ball go in the basket, it changes things crazy. And, and with Hollis Jefferson, not really being, being able to shoot and Boucher, having the confidence to shoot but not making his shots, it it doesn't really do anything offensively having those guys out there. So that's the that's the one thing that I would look for in a in a big man if you can find one. And like you said, you might as well test the waters with the Brissette um, yeah. and see what he can do in the game because they they need their rebounding. They need someone who can try to out-rebound Siakam and, and allow him to get going and get into his rhythm and the way that he wants to play. But also you kind of need someone who can either back someone down or can shoot the ball at a decent clip because when when you have a center who can't do either of those things on the offensive end, you <laughs> you really can't get anything going because you're either clogging the lane or or you're basically letting them play five-on-four against you because you, you can't make a shot. Yeah, and even when they go with like that small ball and they have OG almost at the center, it it kind of works in a sense, but only if Terrence Davis takes Pascal's spot in trying to get out on the break because you see that like he has the energy, yeah. he has the speed to try and get out there, and like that kind of works. Um, but obviously, like only having those two players and having then only one player because Pascal has to kind of hang back if he's on the floor, then it just it, yeah, it does just create a little bit of uh, a stagnant offensive pressure to the other team. So obviously, like we're hoping that a uh, uh, a return for both of these guys happens, and we hope that Ibaka is back probably more than Van Fleet because our guards are a lot more a lot more deep than than our big men, just because that's kind of how the NBA goes these days. And with Gasol injured as well, it, it's a whole tough thing. But we do have a big road trip. Coming up, so I'm not sure if uh, if they'll be even back for those next five games because you know maybe they make a return in Utah or Sacramento or Golden State. I have no idea. There's been no timetable, so but we just hope that it's soon. Uh, our last bit of news here, Lee, is kind of off the court, and it doesn't involve any of the Raptors players, uh, and that's because Nick Nurse uh, is doing a collab with the Arkells. Um, that makes him like definitely the coolest coach in the NBA, right? 
<laughs> Absolutely. That's uh, honestly like it's a huge curveball that I don't think many people saw. Also, like middle of the season, they dropped this news kind of thing. Yeah. That this is happening, and Nick Nurse on the side, you know, after you know leading his team to what is it, the third best record? I don't know if they still have that, yeah. but <laughs> the fact that he was just on the side having this little project going on is just amazing. Yeah. It's impressive. He, uh, I think he could do anything. I'd love him to, uh, you know, be my life coach. That's kind of how I, <laughs> that's how I see it these days. And uh, honestly, right, I so think that's it, it for the, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I think it boosts, uh, Toronto, like what we started with just having Toronto being more of a desirable place. Like if you have that type of coach with like that type of personality, but also having the focus and, you know, just that, that type of coach around to lead your team, then I feel like it makes it a little more desirable to pop up to, to the Great White North. Yeah, and you know what? I, it does make him look like he's not a dickhead, right? Like, there's a lot yeah. of coaches in the NBA who are like, man, that guy would suck to be, like, your coach. Where this yeah. guy, he's probably playing tunes for the boys in the locker room. Like, I don't know <laughs> if any I don't know if any Raptors are huge, like, DR Kells fans. I'd probably, you know, I'd, I'd bet on the side of they're not. But... Maybe they are, and you know that could be a cool opportunity to meet your uh, favorite artist if you're an artist. You never fan. know. You Kyle Corver. Kyle Corver, come to the Raptors, man. Yeah. <laughs> we need shooting. That'd be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, we need some big players. I don't know if we can do another guard here. <laughs> yeah, one of the Lopez guys. I'm sure they like the Arkells. Yeah, I'm sure of it. <laughs> or Dragon Bender. I think he's still. Or, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, and people are scratching their heads at why Dragon Bender still on the on the waivers. Um, so anyways, that'll be it for our news. We're going to get to pretty much just going to be talking about the Milwaukee Bucks game, uh, and we'll be back in just a minute. So on Tuesday night, the battle of the top two teams in the Eastern Conference occurred. It was a big game for the Raptors. It was a big game for the Milwaukee Bucks. The Raptors ended up losing this one, 108 to 97, so an 11-point deficit. They didn't have Gasol. They didn't have Norm Powell, which were probably going to be pretty big. But, Lee, was this game a bit of a reality check for you after a very, very successful last two months from the Raptors? Yeah, honestly, like the three-point shooting, as we've seen, um, can be – it's a do-or-die situation at times. And obviously that night it didn't go so well. I think that they shot just under 35%. And it it was a reality check because you kind of see like you're facing a strong offensive and defensive team uh, with a lot of length. And if you look at the Raptors, we have some players with a lot of length, but obviously as a team, uh, we're very guard heavy. And it's it's interesting when you have a lot of those small ball lineups and you do have that success, but then you face up against a team like Milwaukee and you just kind of see it fall apart to a certain extent. Um, it was it was a wake up call and like how we can approach that type of game. Yeah, and like you kind of knew it was coming, right? Because the Bucks have been playing so well; they've been playing well all year, and the Raptors have been playing so well. But they're still not the Bucks. They don't have a Giannis. Siakam is not close to Giannis. They don't have like you know a Middleton is good. They like their top two are better than our top two. Their top five is probably better than the Raptors' top five. It's just a, you know, after having a 15 straight wins and then winning 17 of 18, it's, you think that you can beat anybody, but 
it's it's the Bucks, and the Bucks are probably going to win seventy games this year. Um, and you know what? The game was uglier than I expected, which kind of gave me a little bit more confidence because you could tell that the Raptors were actually having an effect on the Bucks in terms of like the Raptors' defensive uh, ability. They were kind of actually affecting it, uh, not making shots. Both teams didn't shoot the ball very well. The Bucks like having 108 points for the Bucks is like unheard of. So that's actually a very impressive part of the game. Uh, to me, they're the two like best defensive teams in the league. So I honestly think that the games could really go either way. And this isn't going to be the ugliest that it's going to get. They still have two games left in the series. Um, frankly, I was expecting Nick Nurse to be more like uh, experimental with certain things. It seemed like he was really kind of cookie cutter with his lineups and, and with what he was doing. I wasn't seeing anything too exotic from Nick Nurse, not a whole lot of different defensive uh, setups or anything like that, which was a bit of a shock to me. Um, are you concerned at all with the outcome? I know you said you were uh, a little bit, a uh, bit of a reality check, but are you concerned with how the Raptors played and how the game ended? Well, see, the major part for me was having those like bigger players yes you have the bigger players on the starting lineup but then again you have the likes of uh you know the second Lopez brother coming out and then you also have now Marvin Williams like you have some bigger players on the bench as well that you have to face up against so yes it was a concerning game but at the same time when you have you, your biggest guy being Abaka on the starting lineup and your biggest guy being Boucher on the second string it's it's kind of like okay, yes, this was a you know a rough game and it was it wasn't the prettiest to watch uh, in the forward position, but knowing that you do have Gasol that's still not playing yet and like he can kind of just make that match up like he's not ha- gonna have basically you have like Robin Lopez leaning on Chris Boucher that's gonna tire him out for the whole game, but you have Robin Lopez kind of bullying around with. Serge Ibaka, like he can kind of handle him to a certain extent, and you have Gasol dealing with uh, the kind of likes of uh, Lopez and you know Antetokounmpo at the same time, and then at times you have like uh, different bodies flying in. You have him kind of being your steady forward defensive pressure, like the anchor to the defense. Yeah, if you have that kind of presence, it's going to make a lot of things just a lot easier on the defensive end. It's going to make transitions easier. So once he comes back, I think I'll have a little bit more of an idea of how to like view the Raptors in that area. But as of right now, it, it was a little bit it was a little bit scary to watch. Just like the bigger bodies facing up, especially against Chris Boucher. When you look at him, it's it's a little scary to watch. Yeah, I I like what you said about Gasol being there because Gasol could obviously help on the inside, being that big, just just a unit. Like he, he's just a huge human being who can be there, and even if he's not doing much, he's making his presence felt by way of being seven feet tall and however many pants he is. Right? He's mm-hmm. just a big guy where like he can also excel as brothers who you know I think Brook Lopez had five or six blocks in that game and, and didn't have a whole lot of rebounds, but Giannis had 19 rebounds and, and Chris Middleton had eight rebounds and Bledsoe had seven. That is probably not going to happen with the likes of Gasol with how, A, how smart he is and B, like I mentioned, the size, right? And like, 
I I can honestly say like I don't think Chris Boucher should ever really be in a game like this against the Bucks just because of how big they are. And like I mentioned when talking about the injuries earlier, he doesn't he doesn't shoot the ball very well, or he hasn't this season. And this isn't the G League where he's shooting the ball 45 from three. Um, so you know Boucher being in that game in that scenario, he's not stretching out uh, Brooke Lopez. He's not. Being- being able to bang bodies with Brook Lopez on the inside. He's not really able to have a physical presence against Antetokounmpo. It's it's tough to see him have to battle up against these guys just because of the, the position that he's in. He's But like I said, he shouldn't be playing in a game like, like this. Um, but, you know, having Norm Powell out there would have changed the game a little bit. A guy who can stabilize it. Same with Gasol on the offensive end. You give him the ball, he can stabilize. He's another ball handler. He's another guy who can pass the ball. He's another guy who can who can play make and, and shoot from three and and just so many different things. I think would have I think a lot of different things would have come from the game if Gasol and Norm Powell were both in it. So like whether I'm upset or not or concerned, I don't I don't know because I don't think our full team was there. While the the Bucks have pretty much been healthy all season long and they've been able to play with their guys all year long and. Whoever they've been able to bring in, it takes them two or three games to get acclimated because everybody's playing all the time. So going from the negative to the positive, what were some good takeaways that you have from this game? Well, I mean, it was kind of all over the place for the whole game. Um, But the great part, and like, if you look at all of January and you watch how Siakam has played, yes, only scored 22 points and it's amazing that I can say he only scored 22 points now but he shot five of nine from three and like his shooting all of January was all over the place like you'd have zero percent to I think like the highest would be like 70 or 75 percent it was never consistent it was always jumping around the place and that kind of I don't want to say stopped but it's kind of got a little bit back on track since the all-star break with a few more 50% shooting nights. He had a couple, I think, 25% shooting nights. But again, it's not like as drastic. So hopefully he can keep that trend going. I know last night was a little bit worse. But um, just that, like, the confidence he was shooting with and also the, like, the way that he was approaching the offense, he wasn't just looking for, you know, long-range bombs. He was also kind of looking on the interior. So I like that he was kind of diversifying. You kind of saw, like, not like very beginning of the season, but early season Pascal, where he would go for those three balls. He would try and work the post. He would try and, you know, work with what he has available to him and also what defenders on him. So I liked how he was playing that night. I know obviously he had quite a few shots that, you know, usually would go in, but you know, you have those nights, but I did like that he was shooting with confidence from long range. I think that was a huge, uh, a huge positive coming out of that game. Yeah, I agree. And like this is this might sound a little counterintuitive, but the fact that like you said, like obviously Siakam had a good game, but I I like the fact that Kyle Lowry and Serge Ibaka were both horrible because <laughs> that's not gonna happen. That's not not gonna happen every game. You know what I mean? Like Serge Ibaka, I was praising him before. He was two of fifteen. You don't want to see Serge Ibaka necessarily leading your team in shots in a in any given game, but it shows that he has the confidence and that he is in a mentality where he's like, I'm not going to miss 
my next shot, no matter what happened on the last one. I could have airballed the last five shots. I'm still going to hit this next one. You know Kyle Lowry has the confidence. And when those two are struggling specifically, especially when they don't have the best defenders in terms of like Eric Bledsoe was guarding Kyle Lowry for most of the game. And Eric Bledsoe should be getting roasted by Kyle Lowry. And it just didn't happen. And and you mentioned Pascal Siakam having a good game. OG Ananobi also was very good. So where the where the Bucks are really good defensively, which is essentially everywhere, but where they really thrive defensively is on those wings, right? With the Giannis or the or the Middleton and, and the Matthews. They weren't able to stop the likes of Siakam and, and OG. OG shot two of three from three. Like you mentioned, Siakam was five and nine from deep. Siakam was able to get to the rim. And that's just where he wasn't able to score because of the Brook Lopez, because of the the Giannis Antetokounmpo's who were in the in the lane there. So those two things were very encouraging to me. But also the fact that the game was really tight, except for the third quarter. Like I think they the Raptors either outscored the Bucks or tied the Bucks in every quarter except for the third one, in which they got outscored by 15. Which is you know that's not a good way to handle a game but if you look at the rest of it outside of that third quarter where the Bucks really took off offensively and the Raptors were really stagnant defensively I mean the Raptors were really stagnant offensively um they looked really good they were hitting a relatively decent amount of their shots except for that third quarter they were getting to the rim with ease well not necessarily with ease but as easy as you can against the Bucks I guess they were playing the ball really well. They were getting out in transition. They were forcing a lot of turnovers. They were forcing a lot of bad shots from Giannis. Like he only had 19 points, 35% from the field. They didn't let him. They didn't let Giannis beat beat them, which is almost impossible in in this year and last year and and for years to come. But they they were solid. I thought they had a really good performance given their circumstances and having Chris Boucher play 20 minutes. And and Rondé Hollis Jefferson played 20 minutes, and Terrence Davis um, played 20 minutes just because of the injuries. I think they did as well as they could have. And I've been hearing a lot on like different NBA podcasts and from different NBA shows, and just people talking about this game as such a negative thing for the Toronto Raptors and such a negative um, look for this Raptors team just because of the box score. But if you look at even down the stretch of that game. The Raptors were, they weren't, they were playing well, but against the Bucks, if they have a 10-point lead, you're not going to come back. That's just the, mm. that's just how the NBA is, is this year. They were playing up to par with the Bucks for, I would say, I don't know, 80, 85% of this game. And like I said, with a lot of teams, like, they can't do that. Not a lot of teams are able to do that, especially with two of their top seven guys out of the lineup. So yes, an uh, 11-point loss in theory is kind of concerning, and there's not there shouldn't be a lot of things that you can take away from it. But at the same time, uh, you look at the three quarters where they were playing really well, and then you add a Norm Powell to that, and you get fresher legs with Kyle Lowry, who played like 40 minutes or something, or you get fresher legs with uh, a Gasol and being able to throw, um, you know, or fresher legs with Ibaka being able to throw Gasol out there for 25, 30 minutes. I think it's a totally different game, and you don't see the dominance from the Lopez twins, which you never should, and you don't see you know dominance on the boards from uh, a Giannis. So, you know, yes, it was bad on paper, but to me, it didn't look horrible just because of those takeaways that I got from him. 
Yeah, and I think with, uh, like, again, going back to Gasol, um, you have him out there and just, like, the ability for Siakam to operate on the interior, like you said, he wasn't able to finish around the rim as much because of just the size that's in there. But you have Gasol out there and maybe he hits one or two threes or anything like that, uh, but it does stretch that defense and it pulls the center out or you get a good kick out and you get a wide open three. Those types of plays... And like the, you know, the swing of momentum that comes with those plays is just unbelievable at times. And it can actually lead to that 11 point deficit looking like maybe a two or three point deficit. Exactly. Um, so this is kind of uh, looking into the future here. And, and this could be potentially be uh, a matchup for the Eastern Conference Finals. And I don't think, you know, if the Raptors are obviously able to stay in that second seed, maybe if they drop to the third seed, they won't have to play the Bucks until the Eastern Conference Finals if they so happen to get there. The Bucks look like they're definitely going to get there unless they get a bad bad draw or they get a bad luck for injuries or whatever. Cross my fingers. Um, but if this is a playoff series, based on this game and, and the game that they played earlier in the season, which I think was a, a nine-point loss, maybe a ten-point loss, um, do you see any way that the Raptors can come out of it victorious um see it's difficult to say it really depends like was it a comeback towards the end or was it consistently a nine point loss or a 10 point loss it really just depends and it also depends how like how you know some of the players are playing how some of the starters are playing um there's just so many factors that go into it i think it was still like Honestly, if it was even closer than this, I would personally think, oh, man, like, they were just so close. This is even more devastating. But the fact that it was, oh, okay, like, it's an 11-point loss right now um, with two of our, as you said, two of the seven best players out of it, uh, I think it just, I don't know. It's hard to tell how things, especially if it's the Eastern Conference Finals, let's say, like, for that specific scenario, I think it would be gut-wrenching to lose there. But if you're losing to the Bucks, like that's the one team that I'd be like, okay, I'm okay losing to them. Like that's they're just un- an unbelievable team. They're stacked right now. They're they keep adding players off waivers, and they're just you know they're playing an amazing an amazing game right now. They're playing an amazing season, and honestly, like if if we were to lose to them, I'd be con- like that's the one team that I'd be like, okay, I'm, I can go home and I can be okay with it. Yeah, I agree, and like I, I want to say they can win so badly, um, but like it, it's so hard, it's so hard to see the Bucks losing any playoff series really, um, and like I don't know, we saw it in this game where you have an eight-minute stretch, a six-minute stretch where you guys aren't scoring the ball, or you know you're you're letting a couple extra shots go in, and you're maybe not closing out on threes as well as you had in earlier in the game because various different reasons fatigue whatever they can pull away and they just capitalize on on everything that goes wrong for for the other team so so easily and so quickly that like the raptors would have to be absolutely perfect in in a playoff series and i think siakam would have to turn into that that dude like i mentioned earlier like for him to really step it up and and turn into that guy and up his usage and up his efficiency and do all these different things to, to really get it. But I I do think the series changes and the, the look 
this series changes when both teams are 100% healthy and when both teams are playing just an eight-man rotation and when Nick Nurse has weeks and weeks and weeks to to look at how to defend a guy like Giannis. And, you know, Bledsoe's not going to play this well every night. Middleton, although he's been really good, the playoffs is a different is a different beast. And when your best guy is getting going to get treated the way that he will in a series against the Raptors. Like I think Middleton is basically going to be the the swinger of the series here. Um, I trust Lowry more than Middleton. I trust Ibaka maybe more than Middleton, which sounds ridiculous, but like <laughs> I, I think there's I think there's a possibility. I don't think the chances are high. That's for damn sure. But like I think there's a possibility that it happens and like it'll be a fun series regardless. Yeah, and honestly like if you have a hundred percent like every player is, you know, completely healthy and not just like you know, somewhat day-to-day kind of thing. If you have the likes of, say, Abaka and Boucher in the uh, second rotation, and you have that length on the second rotation, honestly, I think this series would be very interesting. I think it'd be a lot of fun to watch. And I think it would honestly be, the whole series would be won depending on how the benches are playing. Because in the end, like, the Bucks have a great bench still, and, like, they have veterans on that bench that have a lot of postseason experience. But, I mean, the <laughs> the Raptors are playing like like they, they might not see another season in the future. And they're just going out there and trying to have, you know, the best night that they can consistently have every single night. And that's amazing to watch. So if you add that type of length on the bench... And again, with Gasol and uh, Pascal having the length on the uh, starting rotation, I think it could be a lot of fun to watch. I think it could be, but I still think it would honestly be one on the bench and just depending on how well each team's bench does play. Yeah, and, and a big, big guy for that, like we mentioned like earlier in this discussion and, and off the top of the show, uh, who just came back, Norm Powell. He missed this game. He's been like a notorious um, Bucks killer. So like he could be huge and, he could have a couple big games. And I, I, I generally think that he could have the ability to like swing a series in, in the Raptors favor when it comes to the Bucks. And I guess that we can, we can segue this into the Norm Powell uh, discussion of how he returned on Friday night against the Hornets. He had a pretty solid game. Wasn't necessarily the most, um, wasn't the most efficient of nights. He was kind of thrust into the starting lineup and given the ball a lot early on I would say like pretty early I think he had like the Raptors like first four or five shots um did you expect this from from the Raptors and Nick Nurse or do you think that it was just a a thing that just kind of happened the way that it did I think it was honestly a little bit of both but I honestly think it was more or less um, nurse just thinking, okay, we got to get this guy back into the rhythm of things. And he just wants to get those early shots up, make sure that, you know, Norman's feeling a little more comfortable heading into the second, third, and fourth quarter. Um, obviously, like, it kind of worked to a certain extent. Like, he had, a, he had a pretty good shooting night, nothing out of out of the ordinary. But, you know, he got he got a lot of field goals up. And I wasn't anticipating him, you know, shooting all of those within the first night. But it was, I think it it will be beneficial down the line just to quickly, like, snap back into things and make sure that there's no ease into it. He's, like, back into it and he's feeling good about a shot. And moving forward, he can be that player while potentially Fred Van Vliet is out for however long he's going to be out for. Yeah, I agree. And, like, 
it's also against the Charlotte Hornets, right? Exactly. Like, I think that has to. That's a big thing. You give a guy the ball when when it's against the Charlotte Hornets. Like anyone can can get into a rhythm against that team. And like you said, like after being out for as long as he was, and and you know, kind of, I feel like he was a late addition to the lineup. Um, like getting getting him the ball and like maybe he didn't have a good shoot around or maybe anything like that. They might have just were running plays for Norm Powell because they wanted to see see the ball go through the net and get him back on his feet and running kind of right away. Um, so this is kind of going to end the talk for, for Norm Powell. We mentioned it. I mentioned it a little bit with uh, the discussion about the Bucks and, and the, if the Raptors could win a series, but do you think a healthy Norm has the ability to swing a series in the Raptors' favor come playoff time, whether it's against the Bucks or the, the Lakers or the Sixers or the Heat or anybody? I think so, man. Like, he's known as playoff power for a reason because I think he's honestly just riding high ever since he got that one dunk on Milwaukee. What was it? I think it was Giannis and Thon Maker, I think. Yeah. And whatever, it was like, like three years ago. But I think he's still riding high on that. And honestly, like, he's been playing just way above his uh, above his talent this season. Uh, it's something that I think everyone is like, he could do it, he could do it, he could do it. I think it's in him, but we just haven't seen it before. So the way he's been playing throughout the whole season, I think he, he's he got a lot of confidence heading into the postseason. And I think he's he's ready to take that role of, you know, throw him into potentially the starting lineup every now and then just to shake things up against, you know, teams such as potentially Indiana or anyone like that. You throw him in and you got a strong two-way player that can, you know, finish around the rim and can definitely shoot from long range. And I think that can be a huge asset in the postseason when you have some players that, you know, aren't playing as well as you hoped. Maybe, you know, Kyle's having an off-shooting night or Fred's having an off-shooting night. Fingers crossed that never happens this postseason. But I think he can be that type of uh, momentum swing. And you know, like you've seen his dunks, and uh, you've seen some of the three uh, three balls that he's thrown up that have just miraculously gone in. Um, but I think like any any of those plays could be a huge momentum swing, especially when you're playing in Toronto. Yeah. So I I don't think I have anything else to add. To that. that was that was well well said, perfectly said, and I totally agree with with it all. Uh, so just before we finish up here. Um, we saw two amazing dunks against the Bucks this week. I just want to know, Lee, which one was your favorite? Was it the OG Ananobi dunk over Giannis, or was it the Chris Boucher put back over Giannis? And I think it was Brooke Lopez under there as well. <laughs> Honestly, like, I personally really liked the OG dunk. I know I said at the beginning, like, I've been an OG fan, but it was just it was so good that he it looked like he was so open and you kind of saw him catch a glimpse of Giannis out of the corner of his eye and then kind of speed up the dunk a slight bit but just the fact that you know you're watching the tv you're like oh this is a wide open uh dunk and then Giannis comes out of nowhere and you're like oh this is dangerous like this is not going to end well and OG just somehow like snuck it in right before I think that was just it was just amazing to watch. But Chris Boucher's this is nothing to take away from it. Like that was just an unreal dunk as well. Yeah, like I also think with the the OG dunk, like there was a little bit more swag to it. You know, like he hung on the ring the rim just a little bit with the one hand. You could tell he was kind of like mean mugging Giannis. 
Um, yeah. so I'm gonna go with that one as well. Uh, he was he wasn't like it was basically a like a standing jump. He didn't really, really get any steps in before it. Um, whereas like Boucher was kind of running in and and dunked from behind him. Like I don't think Giannis really expected it. Giannis knew exactly what he was getting into, and he had the confidence that he was gonna block the shot. Whereas like the Boucher one. He was just kind of going up for the rebound. He, you know, probably wasn't boxing out all that much because he's like, oh, shit, it's just it's just Chris Boucher. And then he comes in and, like, kind of games in between the both of them. Um, so yeah. I also really yeah, liked um, that, what was it? I think it was Norm, draw, this is last night, but Norm going to the hole and then I, I wonder if it was intentional. I don't, I want to believe it was intentional, but, like, he missed his shot and like it hit off the backboard and then i think it was boucher who came out of nowhere and just put the put back dunk in i really yeah. liked that one last night that was good yeah it seems like boucher's like only rebounds come from like put back <laughs> dunks or like putbacks in some way it's pretty joke i'm fine with um, it honestly right. like if, if you're gonna it. keep hey, on the dunking. highlights <laughs> keep the highlights coming man Absolutely. exactly um all right so that'll be it for for the show today Lee, thank you so much for coming on. Um, love to have you again on the show. Um, so where can people find you? Twitter, obviously, RaptorsRapture.com. Let the people know uh, where people can find you. And I know you you just dropped some sort of uh, clothing stuff, right? So let people know what's going on with that, too. Yeah, absolutely. So on Twitter, it's Lee underscore Tanner with uh, two R's. Uh, Instagram, just Lee Tanner with two R's. And um, I actually just put out a piece on like who benefited the most during uh, Norman Powell's injury. And then, as Hunter said, like I just started up a little clothing line. It's based in basically it's like Toronto, Ottawa, Canada, um, but it's called Orange Park. So O A or O R A N J E P A R K on uh, Instagram right now. But yeah, thanks very much, Hunter. Yeah, of course. So we'll have all that, uh, all you know, Twitter, Instagram, all that kind of stuff, uh, in the in the bio of this. And if you guys want to check out the the clothing that Lee's putting out there, we're also going to throw it in in the bio as well. So you can just click it; it'll probably take you somewhere. Um, and and hopefully you guys enjoy it. Uh, Lee, once again, thank you for coming on. And as we end the show every week, go Raptors! Go Raptors! <laughs>